If you're looking for inspiration and challenge in the world of early years and Key Stage 1 education, then you've just found it. Welcome to the Early Excellence Podcast. Hello everybody, Andy Burt here. Welcome along to episode 75 of the Early Excellence Podcast. In this week's episode, I'm joined by children's author Ali Mary. Ali has written a series of books aimed at helping young children to talk about their feelings and also about issues which affect them. As part of the chat, we discuss the process of writing and illustrating children's books. And we also talk about the complexity of supporting children's emotional well-being as well. So here you go. Here's my Early Excellence podcast chat with children's author Ali Mary. I'm delighted to say that I am joined for the podcast this week by Ali Mary, who is an author of children's books, also works in schools, um, supporting schools and uh, delivering all sorts of fantastic work in schools. Ali, welcome along to the podcast. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Um, It's lovely to have you here. Um, We're going to talk about all sorts of things as well in terms of your work and your books as well, which are really interesting books. Um, I think there's a real, um, I think it opens up a a really interesting conversation and discussion about um, about young children's, partly young children's learning, but also young children's um, emotional needs as well. And we're going to be talking about that, aren't we? Um, So before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Would that be all right? Tell us a a bit about your background. How did you get started on writing books for young children? Uh, Okay, well, um, I'm a primary school teacher uh, by trade. Um, when I left, so from since I left university, I um, taught in several local primary schools um, until I had my own children and then uh, left teaching when I had very young children. I used to teach um, foundation stage and year one children. So teaching a class of children was lovely, but then going home to two under fives at home as well was uh, just a little bit much. Um, so I left teaching um to pursue other things as well, um, including a, my husband's business. He needed some help um, in the finance part of his business. So um, teaching, that was it for teaching, really. But um, I always, always loved reading stories with the children. That was my my favourite, favourite part of teaching by far, was reading stories, sharing stories, talking about stories. Um, and I suppose I'd always wanted to be an author, really. Now I think about it, ever since I was little, I've always loved picture books, particularly. Um, I'm a little bit of an artist as well, so I always appreciated the drawings um, in, in the picture books. Um, and then one day in lockdown, um, I found myself sitting in a home makeshift home office in our dining room with my husband working away on, on a, some kind of video call for work. Um, and both children also on video calls, actually, with teachers at the time. Um, and I just sort of looked around and thought, well, what can I do? The, the things I'm doing here aren't, aren't really meaning a lot. Um, and I'd also witnessed my children at the time weren't quite teenagers. They were, I think one was still at, one was final year primary and one was first year secondary. Um, and I saw how it affected them not being able to see their friends and family. Um, and I used to listen to the news stories about, um, underprivileged children and those children that that are actually better off when they are at school and and I thought about their emotions and how how they would be coping how these children that are used to being at school with their teacher and their friends who suddenly aren't might even be on their own at home if that's their circumstances and how would they cope with these new emotions that they'd never had before and then this idea just came to me one morning uh, like a like a blinding flash of light, really. What a five o'clock one January morning must have been January twenty twenty one. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a series of books for very very young children about mental health issues, um, and they're going to be about my little dog who happened to be sitting next to me at the time as well. And that that was it. The idea was born, and and the whole thing was uh, was like a vision. Really, I knew I knew the first five books already. Um, 
because they were going to be about each one, about the five most prevalent mental health issues for young children. Yes, yeah. It's, it's a fantastic story, just in terms of that idea of just getting started, isn't it? You know, that kind of the idea that it came to you. Um, and I, I would think as well that I would think lockdown probably, from what you were saying, probably had quite a bit to, to do with it in, in that it was a, a, such a strange time, wasn't it? They were thinking back to that time where, where sort of such a lot was kind of almost like hanging in the air, sort of suspended, sort of things had been paused and people had, not everybody, but many people had more time to stop and think and wonder and ponder over yeah. where they were at and, you know, that sort of thing. I think that's, a, yeah. that's exactly it. I think you get caught up in the day-to-day, don't you? Um, and they're just living life and, and their kids going off to school and lunches and after-school clubs and, and the work that you have to fit in in between all of that. Um, obviously, running a business, quite busy as well. Um yeah, so if that hadn't sort of taken a back seat for a, for a while, then the idea might never have come to me, or or even maybe if it had come to me, I wouldn't have listened to it. I think maybe be, because I had more time physically and more time space in my head, maybe I was more open to the idea that when when that little nugget of an idea came, instead of shushing it like usual because I've got too much to do, I thought, oh, actually. That's what that's what I could be doing here, sitting here while they're working. That's what I could be doing. And and I had the idea straight away, the idea was there that I would take these books into schools. That's what they're for. They were they were to be read in schools, in groups or in assemblies or um or by the teacher. And they were to be they would hopefully start the discussion um about these mental health issues. Yeah. And and how many books are in the series? Just just remind me. Well, so far two. Um, as of hopefully next week, there will be a third. It's actually I have the final proofs ready to approve to go to the printers this afternoon. Actually, um, so yeah, we, we are now a series of three with uh, the, the fourth one um, on the way, definitely taking shape. And and you've already got that plan. You've got the the whole series planned out. Yes. Yes, so yes. Like, like a J.K. Rowling of the, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Thank you. Of, the picture, of the picture book world. Well, who knows? Who knows? Maybe. Um, yeah, so the, the very first book um, I wrote, um, I think I just Googled, you know, what are the, what are the main mental health issues for young children? Um, and, well, you'd be surprised at some of them, actually. But um, the first two were depression and anxiety, which I wasn't certainly wasn't a surprise to me, even just looking at my own two children in, in that situation. Um, so the first two books, uh, the first book is about depression um, and the second one is about anxiety, um, obviously written for five, six, seven, eight-year-olds. So they're not called a book about depression and a book about anxiety. Um the third one I've just finished, well, it's about to go to the printers, is about self-harm, um, which surprised me that that was the third most prevalent um, issue for young children. Um, and then the next two are about uh, autism and ADHD. Um, and I, and as, I, as I write, more ideas come to me as well. So um, I think the one after that will be about um, gender identity. Um and I've got one planned about discrimination and um, one about grief as well, overcoming grief. But and I think the more I, the more I go into schools and and get reaction from real people and real children and real teachers, the more I realise that there doesn't seem to be anything else like this out there. Um, I talked to some Elsa um, members of staff. The um, emotional literacy support staff in the schools and they say that there are books there are known books that they can use as tools but nothing as direct as my books so there's sort of there's a tenuous link in there somewhere which they can which they can bring around to a conversation with a particular child if they want to but they said but but young children need this sort of matter of fact Oh look, here's a problem. Oh look, here's how you might start to solve it. They, they, they need it sort of um, saying straight. They need it saying straight to them. 
And obviously therein lies a problem because you can't really say that straight to a six-year-old. It's quite difficult. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, presume, presumably, um, the, the stories work on different levels, that, that actually the children could just enjoy the story and that actually it might not lead to a conversation. You know, it could be that actually just on one level they enjoy the story and that's it. But that actually the teacher or the parent or whoever's reading the story could use that opportunity to have a conversation, particularly if they feel that their children would be receptive to that or there is a particular need in that respect. That, that's yeah. exactly it, yes. Yeah, you've um, hit the nail on the head there completely. Um, yes, obviously I don't just want my... The idea is not to have my books just wheeled out when, when somebody somebody needs them to help overcome a problem. Um, although first and foremost, that, that was the reason for writing them. Um, uh, yeah, I wanted to make nice, enjoyable stories for for children um, with nice pictures. So, and, and I suppose that's one of the main reasons that I use Mabel, my dog, um, as the main character because I suppose that the, the books I'd read and loved when I was younger were were books about animals that that had a personality. Um, so that's uh, yeah, that was that was the choice for using Mabel. But the um, the first book, Mabel finds her happy, is about depression, but obviously for very young children so but Mabel wakes up one morning and she just she she can't find her happy she doesn't feel her usual happy self when doing her usual things that that give her pleasure um and obviously through the book she she discovers ways that she can help help to make herself feel better she watches what her family do and she watches what her other animal friends do um and eventually she finds somebody to talk to and she finds that that's that's what really really helps um, but also the book, it's um, there's elements in there that, that you would use in a foundation stage setting or just when you're reading a, a story to a child at bedtime. So there's, um, there's different times of the day in there that you could use as an education um, tool. There's, um, there's repetitive phrases in that first book that children can join in with. If children are too young to read themselves, they could start to join in. Um, there are there's a sequence um, that Mabel actually revisits three times in that book. So you could you could use pictures from the book, um, and the children could sequence um, sequence them and, and tell the story that way. Um, and there's, there's relationships in there, and um, there's numbers. There's um, there are three cats, and there are um, there are five. Um, pigeons in the park and there's um there's all sorts of number number games you could do there as well so uh, and on top of that hopefully they are just a nice enjoyable story um about a little dog <laughs> yeah yeah definitely which i think is probably always popular there's a, there's a kind of a there's a rich scene there isn't there i think when you think of children's stories that, that's in fact some of the best children's stories the most well-known children's stories often include pets familiar pets and you know um and in fact, but you know, particularly you know, dogs and cats, and you know, those sorts of things are often key characters when you think about the, the Mog stories, or whether you think about um, the Shirley Hughes stories. There are loads of them that actually feature um, the, the familiar, don't they? You know, it's that familiar environment. That's um, it. I did want to... familiar setting. Sorry, go yeah. on. So the familiar setting was very important to me um, when I wrote the books. They they have to be familiar for the children be because of the message I'm uh, introducing with the, with the mental health topics. Uh, I felt they had to be f in a familiar setting for the children to feel comfortable with, with what was happening. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I suppose I, I would think Mabel kind of fits in with that. Can you tell us a bit about Mabel and, and kind of her part within the stories? Are you, are you able to explain that? Yes, so um, Mabel is um, a miniature sausage dog. She's um, a chocolate and tan miniature sausage dog, and she's very small. Uh, we, we haven't met one smaller than her yet. Um, she's four years old, and she's an, she's an absolute angel. She really is. Um, she could be a therapy dog, I think, except she's too reactive with other dogs. So she, um, well, she, changes, she changes character completely if we're out on a walk and she sees a big dog. Um, but she... She's so gentle, and but she, as all sausage dogs do, I think she has such um, such a characterful face, and she people say she 
everything but talks to you. You know, you know what she's thinking. You, you know everything. It, the only thing she can't do is actually articulate the words. She has so much expression. Um, and just going back, you made a point um, about Mog books. I used to love the Mog books when I was little. Uh, and the fact that Mog, you knew what Mog was thinking. That was what the story was. She never said it, but you knew what she was thinking. Um, and, and she'd have thought bubbles and, and things would occur to her. And they, she would see things from just how you imagine a cat would see things. She doesn't, she doesn't put human um, sort of swing on things. She, she can't understand when there's a burglar at the, at, the, at the window. All she thinks is, oh, good, somebody can let me in. You know, that sort of thing. Um, and I suppose it comes from that ability that children have for suspending reality. It always used to amaze me when I was teaching um, that you could, you could put a puppet on your hand and you, you could, this puppet could talk to the children, although it was only 20 centimetres away from your face, the children would talk to the puppet. And they, they would almost, they could almost enter that state where they believed you weren't even there. You were nothing to do with it. And they were talking to the puppet and you could actually get them to say things. You could get them to whisper something to the puppet. You wouldn't even know what they'd said as part of the game because they would, they would treat it as if it was real. And I, I suppose that's part of the familiarity um, of, the, of the setting for the books is that with it being a dog, a pet that they're probably familiar with, even if they haven't got their own, they'll know somebody with a dog, won't they? And the fact that you get to know Mabel in the book uh, and the fact that it's not a person or a grown-up or a teacher, it's this little dog. And you, you could, uh, hopefully, they feel that they feel that they could engage with Babel and that they could talk to her if they wanted to. And uh, hopefully they'll feel that she would listen as well. I know my, um, a very good friend of mine uh, lives in Spain, actually, and he has twin boys and he, he, he bought one of the, one of my, the first book, Mabel Finds Her Happy. Um, and he's, um, his children are bilingual. Um, and he reads to them in English. He tries to read English books. Um, and he read the book and he, they, he knew they enjoyed it. Um, sort of, I don't think it was bedtime. It must have just been story time or downtime. Uh, and he said about half an hour later, he was sitting in his office. Um, and one of the twins came in and said, Daddy, are you happy? And it, it's just, it's a, I had to write you an email and tell you about this because something went in. Something about that book. He, he enjoyed the book and engaged with the book. But something about the message worked. It went in, and he went and he asked his mum. I think he asked his dad, and I think he asked his mum as well, making sure yeah. that they were happy, like Mabel. So it, yeah, it it's, interesting, it? it's a kind of a foot in the door to a conversation, isn't it? It's a starting point. But that that first starting point to a difficult conversation is probably the hardest bit to a certain extent. I think sometimes, particularly with young children. You know, because it's awkward, isn't it? You know, that kind of, you know, asking, you know, well, how, how are you is the sort of thing we do, we do all the time. You know, how are you today kind of thing. But we kind of do it in a very surface level way, whereas actually asking kind of, no, actually, how are you really is the harder bit, isn't it? You know, you know are you sure you're okay is the, is the follow-up, isn't it? And it's that bit that we don't tend to do, is it? That, you know, that actually, how are you really today? you know, seriously, how are you, is not something we actually do. We, we tend to be fairly surface level, I think, in terms of often talking about emotions. And, and so I think your books are, actually are really interesting to consider that actually, you know, there is a gentle way of introducing actually quite difficult areas, um, but done in a way that actually is sensitive and is appropriate to the ages of the children, I think. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing. You're right. I don't think there are books out there that, or not that I'm aware of, that are similar to this. And so it does make it very interesting. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about in terms, of, um, in terms of Mabel is that I know you do the illustrations, which I think is great that you write the books and you also do the illustrations. Um, and, and, of course, the books are... Are picture books. They they have of course text within them, print within them. They're not just the illustrations. They're not just a, a wordless book. Um, but first of all, I think the point I was going to make was that, that I think there's a real challenge in writing, for writing picture books, writing books that actually aren't going to have paragraph after paragraph of print, 
because actually you have to really choose your words carefully. And I, th- I think that is quite an interesting thing to consider that actually, you know, how do you start with that? You know, when you, when you think, well, actually, I want to say all of this, particularly talking about emotions, that's such a hard thing to do, but I've got to do it in 15 words, you know, or whatever. You know, that's incredibly hard. And, and the other thing I wanted to ask about was, was the, um, the illustrations. I think one of the, I was looking at the illustrations in, the, uh, in your first book, um, just a, a day or two ago in preparation for this. And it occurred to me that, that one of the things that I think is interesting is that in the book, Mabel has some, shows some emotions that are more like human emotions. So you can see her kind of welling up and being upset. And that, I, you know, and that, that, of course, sort of tugs on your heartstrings. But also, I wondered whether that, whether that makes it easier because Mabel is a, is a character, if you like, and 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 uh, almost a kind of she is a real dog, but it's almost a cartoony kind of character. That I wondered whether actually that makes it easier for children to relate and to to talk to kind of step away from the real and to talk about actually how Mabel might be feeling. Yes, I, I think so. Oh, I hope so. Certainly, um, it's it's um, they call it anthropomorphization, isn't it? To um, to give to give to give human qualities to a, to, I think it's to an inanimate object, actually. But um, yes, I, it, you're right. If she was just a dog in a story, you wouldn't know she was upset. Although the words say she was upset, you wouldn't you wouldn't see that because dogs don't look upset, do they? They just look the same all the time. Um, and I, I think from my experience of going into schools and reading the story, that picture where Mabel has tears in her eyes, although I hated drawing it, it, it breaks my heart every time I look at it, but it really it affects them, it really does. And one question I think I can almost guarantee somebody in the school will ask at one point, is that story real? Is that a true story? And, and I think they're concerned that Mabel was so sad. Um, in fact, somebody asked it this morning, we've been into a school this morning, and somebody did ask that question. I always go back to the picture and I say, no, look, at, if you have a dog, you'll know. If you don't have a dog, you know, look at them. But dogs dogs don't show emotions like that. I don't think dogs get upset. Um, but it then, of course, it, it taps into their em- empathy, that child's empathy. They're, they're thinking, oh, my goodness, that dog's upset. And then there's an absolute route in there to talk to that child about, well, do you know, do you know anybody else who feels upset? Do you feel upset? What, what can you do to help? What can you do to help yourself? Um, yeah, it, it's part of that suspending reality, isn't it? To, um, so that they believe it. Uh, then, then you have to sort of, yeah, put their mind at rest that it wasn't real and she wasn't that sad. Um, but then it, it leads perfectly into, into that important conversation. It does absolutely. I, w- I wondered actually, and I guess this probably isn't the case from from what you've described of Mabel, but I wondered whether, in the process of taking Mabel into school, had it opened up any conversations about children who perhaps had been afraid of dogs? It has actually. Oh, has it? I mean, yeah, I, I'm no. presumably not afraid of Mabel, or maybe they are. Well, I don't know. To begin with, yes. So, in a couple of schools, actually, that I've been to. Um, Obviously, most most people are just sort of you walk in and you just hear a chorus of oh, um, and that's normally the staff as you walk to rather than the children. Normally, takes us twenty minutes to get through the door because all the staff want to come and say hello, which is lovely. And Mabel's so good and so patient, and she loves meeting people. And I think she now recognises the smell of a school, so she knows exactly what we're doing. Um, but. In I think two some we always go into the classroom. We might do an assembly and read the book, um, but then we always go into the classroom. So we might just read the story to the individual classes, or I say read it in assembly and then visit the classes. But they always have the opportunity to ask any questions. I always say they have to ask me because Mabel can't talk, um, and and then they can all come up and meet her individually. So they all sort of come up one by one, give her a little stroke, and she might lick lick their hand. Um, and they get a sticker. Um, but there's always, always one or two that don't want to, of course, and that's fine, and they still get their sticker. Um, I do find that quite a lot of the time, by the time we've got to the end of the line, 
those children that didn't want to have actually joined the line and they do actually come and they give her a little stroke. I think after they've seen how gentle she is um, also, um, and I have her on my knee, so and I'll be sitting on one of those tiny little primary school chairs, so she's at their level as well, uh, which I think is quite nice for them. Um, but certainly in one school they had, I, I was visiting uh, class one and class two, the foundation stage in year one and two, um, but I think they got a year four or five pupil who had been um, actually been attacked by a dog previously in her life and was petrified of dogs. And they said, at break time, would I mind if they brought her into the room just to see? She was open to the idea. Uh, and what did I think? And I said, of, of, of course, you know, of course, if we can help her get over a fear, then that'd be fantastic. She watched a little bit and saw how, how Mabel was. Um, and by the end of break time, she was walking around the field holding Mabel's lead, which apparently was unheard of. They couldn't quite believe that she was so comfortable with her. So that was lovely. That was really lovely. So although it was nothing to do with the book or, or the story, of course, that for that girl, it was yes could even yeah, be yeah. life-changing. Yes. And, and also, the other thing I was going to ask you, uh, which may or may not be the case, have you been into a school with Mabel where they've got a school dog? That's becoming a more common thing. It is. Um, I, di- I, did go t- I did go to a school, um, one of the first ones we went to, actually, that they do have, they got two dogs in the office. I don't think they were school dogs. I think they actually belonged to the ladies that worked in the office and they, they were allowed to bring their dogs to work with them. Um, but of course, it sounded like all hell had broken loose when, when we walked in. They weren't happy about Mabel, and she wasn't happy about them either, unfortunately. So Mabel's definitely people. She's a people dog. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not a dog. It, it is a, a, a quite a becoming a more of a common thing now. It um, is, and, no, yeah. And, and in lots of ways, um, with with dogs also being used in a similar way to how. Um, to the conversations that we're having, where actually, you know, that it, that it's that the dogs are being used as a way of um, calming children, building up their confidence, giving them the, that opportunity to to kind of give the dog a stroke or a cuddle, or you know, those sorts of kind of experiences, mm. that sort of almost like therapy dogs, really. Yes, uh, which I think is way, really yeah. quite interesting. Yes, my my children's school. Uh, they do have a, a dog called Oakley, um, and I know that the, the children can can sort of put their names down, sort of book the dog out for fifteen minutes, I think, at lunchtime, and take her for a walk uh, in in a small group or just on their own if that's if that's what they need to do. And I think, gosh, when I was at school, my name would have been on that list every single day <laughs> just because I wanted to spend time with the dog. I don't think I had any any particular need um, for a therapy dog, but just to have spent time with a with a dog. I would have just it would have been so fulfilling I think I just think it's 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 wonderful for those children that want to yes yeah I remember I did um sorry I'm going off track a little bit but with this but I, I did um I visited a school about a year or so ago on a very hot day um I visited a school uh, last summer to do a uh, to do a room plan um, so I designed classrooms one of the, the jobs that I do for early excellence is designing classrooms and um, I went to a school to design a classroom and then met with the head teacher and started to design the classroom. And I had a, small, a, a little desk in the head teacher's office, basically. And the, the office, it was only a very small school and the head teacher's office was little. But the head teacher had um, this incredible dog that was a, this sort of Great Dane, I think it was. It was huge. It was, uh, it was more like a horse than a dog. I would have said, like a small horse it was, size-wise. And uh, it basically it came into the office when I was there drawing up the plan, and it basically filled the room, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you walk into a room and think they're a sofa, can't you, a great day? Yeah. They're that sort of size, aren't they? Well, I, you've just broken a dream. I Genuinely, when I was younger, I used to dream. I loved school. I was very fortunate. I genuinely loved going to school. But I, and I, at home, we had cats. I've still got cats now, but obviously I didn't have a dog then. And I used to dream, more than once, certainly, that school was actually in my house. It wasn't at another building, but everyone was at school in my house. But that the cats were there. And while we were sitting working, a cat might come and sit on your desk and play with your pencils or sit on your knee. 
And I, I, I spent, well, I think the first time I went into a school that had a dog, I just, oh my gosh, my dreams have come true. That would just be fantastic. I thought, oh, it's got, it must have so many benefits. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm sure that's something that a lot of children think about, that kind of idea of, of um, kind of almost a dreamlike kind of world, that sort of um, almost sort of fantasy-based world, but based around the real. And I think that's where uh, quite often the best children's books tap into that, where you've got sort of something that is actually very, very real situation, you know, a very real situation, whether it be school or home, but then something alongside it that actually... Is, is out of the ordinary, you know, that quite often happens. And, you know, so things like the books of Mick Inkpen, for example, you know, those, those sort of books like The Blue Balloon, you know, that takes something that starts off as being, as being very normal, just finding a balloon, and then suddenly you've got this, this crazy world sort of kind of happening, on, you know, because of that. Um, so yeah, I think it's such a great way into talking about all sorts of things. I did wonder actually. You mentioned this a little bit earlier on. Are, are there are there authors or perhaps illustrators that have influenced the work that you that you that you do? Are there particular ones that stand out? Um, so I suppose when I first wrote the books, I, I thought. No, I'd have said no. I, these have just come out of my head. These are just, you know, ideas out of my head. I've decided to write a book about my my dog, but but of of course I must have been influenced um, about books that I've read. No, when I was little, I said uh, the Mog books were just just my favourite favourite books. Um, I think I had all of them, um, and I loved them because for exactly what you were just saying there, because it's a completely normal family with a cat, and then these extraordinary things happen. Um, perhaps Mog has a dream. She always has a dream she can fly, doesn't she, Mog? Um, like the birds. Um, and these these everyday things that happen, but that you're seeing him through the eyes of the cat rather than through the eyes of a person. And so that I love, absolutely love those books. Um, and I know when I was teaching, my my favourite series of books were the, um, the Percy the Park Keeper books, uh, Nick, Nick Butterworth, weren't they? And his his illustrations, I think again the the human um, the human emotion being seen in the animal has definitely come from his. I'm sure. I re- remember one of um, a book that I did when I was training. I think as a teacher was one of his books called After the Storm. And there's been this huge storm overnight, um, and he sort of had to batten down the hatches in his little shed. Um, and then in the morning the sun's out and everything's fine. So he sort of gets his wheelbarrow and, and, and some tools and puts his hat on and off he goes in, into the park to see what damage has been done. And, and nothing's too bad. He thinks they've got away with it. And then it turns out that the huge, great big tree where all the animals lived has fallen down. And there's this one picture. I can see it now. There's this one picture of this huge tree uh, lying on the ground across a river, I think. And there's a line of about eight rabbits I think it starts with a badger and then a fox uh, and eventually there's eight rabbits sitting next to each other and they all look so dejected <laughs> and these pictures in reality these, these rabbits must be a centimetre each tall but they look so sad and I, I it tugs at my heartstrings absolutely um, and it, that book's lovely because it all turns out alright and they all built they all build a new one and of course it's better than it was before but the, the, how he can get such emotion into a tiny tiny picture of a rabbit yeah used to amaze me and and is that do you find that that is a challenge you know when as an illustrator when you come to then create a, trying to create an emotion in a, in a in an illustration is that is that a challenge, or is it maybe maybe it's straightforward? I don't know. Uh, is it more straightforward because you're trying to make it obvious, or are you trying to make it subtle? I don't, I don't know. It's. I think ch- challenging, yes. Difficult, no. Um, I because I love drawing, and I've always loved drawing, um, and I think with with my books, because as you said, because there are so few words. The story is told through the pictures, which is why one reason why I wanted to do the illustrations myself, because it's my story. 
I had to draw the pictures because it's so much from me. It's, it's from my heart. So they had to come from me because the emotion is in the pictures. The emotion isn't in the words at all. Um, the words are very factual, in fact. Um, very short sentences with very simple words that hopefully the children will be able to um, start to read themselves when they're at the right sort of age. Um, so it had to come from the pictures. Obviously, the pictures need to be need to look nice and cute. But also, I think obvious, they need to obviously show um, the emotion. I, a very, very good friend of mine has um, her son's um, autistic. And one of the things that he finds very difficult is, is um, reading emotions. Uh, he, he finds he can do happy and sad and cross. And I think that's about it. He, the nuances between them he finds very difficult. And I was showing her the pictures when I sort of said, oh, I've written a book. I'm going to be famous. Um, I, I showed her, showed her the pictures. And um, there's, there's one where Mabel's lying in her bed. Um, and it, it just says, the words just say Mabel felt sad. Um, so I'd drawn Mabel looking sad, I thought. Um, her head's down and her ears are down and, and she does look a bit dejected. Um, and my friend said, my son wouldn't know that she was sad from that picture. It's not obvious enough. Uh, which is why the where I put the tears in. So because she, I, then I sort of did the tears and she said, that's it. That That is now sad, isn't it? That's um, any child of any age would recognise that now as sad. There's, there's no other emotion that that could be. So, yeah, I think it does have to be obvious for children's yes. age, yeah. Yes. And, and do you have an idea of perhaps different, different depths or different inferences that, you would, that, you, that maybe you, you would look at it and say, well, some children might look at this and, and say, well, the character is sad, and another would say that they are, they're missing somebody that's why they're sad and that actually it might be the, I don't know the body language or the the way that the eyes are you know where their eyes are looking or whatever it might be that, that actually there's almost like sort of different levels of emotion that we can gain from hopefully yes yeah, yeah hopefully yes I mean I suppose I, I see the very the very basic as the picture um the p pictures are in color but the black and white in front of you if, if you like the the actual the sort of the first thing that hits you when you look at the picture is that this this is a sad dog because it's crying. Um, I suppose then the words build onto that and tell you a little bit more about maybe why she's sad and what what's behind those feelings. And then yes, as as the children get older, I have written the books with children in mind all the way through primary school. So although although it's the the very young children is why I've written the books because there aren't any for that for that age group. I always knew that I wanted year five, year six children to be able to enjoy them as well. And obviously they'd be able to read them independently, hopefully, um, but they could still get the benefit of the, um, the message. Um, but hopefully they would actually enjoy it. It wouldn't be too young for them. Um, and I am finding, I am finding that. The feedback is that the, it's the year fives and sixes that are going into the library and reading books, um, which, which is lovely. Um, but hopefully in, in the pictures there are, there are more. There are more things going on in the picture than than a five year old would notice. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Uh, that's really interesting. Um, we would um, when we were talking earlier on, it made me think. You know, your books cover a, and are going to cover. You know, in the series that is going to be released, they cover a range of difficult topics, don't they? You know, and you mentioned some of them. You know, from um, from depression. And anxiety to to self harm and, and and building on that and I wondered whether you whether whether you'd come into contact with people who perhaps had said well actually you know what I don't I don't think that's appropriate you know for my five year old or or in school I don't, you know that that doesn't I, I don't see why you know a five year old should be learning about feeling anxious or depressed or any of those other challenging topics is that is that something I don't know whether that's something you've come into contact with and if so I wondered I wondered kind of what your response was to that uh, I have I have actually uh, in a nice way uh, I think um <laughs> yeah so I I 
all all the um, feedback I'm getting from the schools, as I say, is um, is is positive, hundred percent positive. Uh, I've had no nothing at all that wasn't. Um, I have a fear. I think children's mental health is um, a modern day issue, isn't it? And I think if I think about my parents and their generation. Um, adult mental health just wasn't wasn't an issue to them it, you just you, you just sort of pulled your socks up and got on with it didn't you um on, and if you and if you were ill you were sort of kept away nobody knew about you you were sort of behind closed doors weren't you um so I think this my mum did mention at one point she she's she loves the books my mum was also a, a early years teacher for the whole of her career and she's she loves the books and she appreciates everything about them but she did mention that she was trying to tell her friends about the books and her friends have all got grandchildren and quite a few of them had said I couldn't buy a book like that for my grandchild because I didn't I wouldn't want the I wouldn't want the grandchild's parents thinking that I think their child needs it almost like it's a negative thing uh, like you were saying like maybe maybe oh no I can't I can't buy my five-year-old a book about depression because that's saying that's saying that she's got depression um, and I did take that on board and I did ask some other people. Um, I have to say everyone I asked said, no, no, it, it must be a generation thing because this generation is, is out for all the help they can get um, in, in terms of mental health. Um, as I had spoken to a couple of ELSA um, members of staff and, and they say that <laughs> everyone I've spoken to who are they're part time, and they all say they could they could be full time three times over, and they'd still have a queue at the door of parents coming to ask for help for these things. Um, I think also I did take it on board when writing the third book, the one that I've just finished. So the, the depression and the anxiety. I mean, they're okay. Clinical depression and, and anxiety disorder. Obviously, they're more serious, but. When we talk about depression and anxiety, we mean really in young children, we mean the the feelings that they're experiencing, their emotions, and, and most people can um, can feel those emotions quite quite frequently, can't they? But obviously, self harm was quite a different topic to tackle. Um, so I knew straight away that it, it wouldn't be Mabel that was self harming in the book. Um, so that one is written from very much from a point of view of how to recognise if somebody is self-harming or how to recognise the behaviour that might lead to somebody self-harming. So in the story, uh, Mabel meets a dog. She meets four dogs on a walk uh, and three of them are playing and one of them are, one of them biting his own paw. Uh, and she sort of thinks, well, I wonder why that's happening. And, and she takes him around to see the others and, um, and she finds out that there is a reason, actually, and he is self-harming. Um, but I think having built up the relationship with Mabel and, and the children who have read the first two books, um, hopefully they come to love Mabel. Um, and I've, I just thought it would be too hard hitting to have Mabel self-harming. Um, and I suppose those, hopefully only a small number of children will have experienced that themselves, whereas maybe more children will have experienced um, witnessing that kind of behaviour. Yeah, potentially. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. it is. It is interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I remember I, I was talking to a, a, um, another guest on the podcast who was talking about um, mental mental health issues um, in teenage children and young adults, and was talking about how you know children don't just suddenly, or young adults don't suddenly become a, a you know a somebody who's got mental health issues, you know, whether that be self-harming or depression or anxiety, it doesn't suddenly just start at 16. No, no, of course not. It doesn't just suddenly they get up, you know, one morning and that's it. They have these, these issues. Actually, that's building probably from, for a number of years up to that point. And that when we, when we consider that, Actually, your books are incredibly important, I think, because actually it raises that conversation, doesn't it? It prompts that conversation at those early stages when actually something could potentially be done. You know, 
I always think that that actually by the time somebody is what in their late teens, a lot of that behaviour is 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 embedded, isn't it? A lot of that, and 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 not just behaviour, but kind of how we feel about ourselves is very much embedded, and very difficult to break a cycle at that point. Whereas actually, if we're talking about much younger children, actually, the starting points are important, aren't they? I I think so. Yes, I think. I mean, they say there's a there's a a teenage mental health crisis, don't they? But as you say, these these teenagers probably had the problem started before they were teenagers, didn't they? Of course. Uh, just just thinking of how in a in a school setting, how you would run uh, a PSHCE lesson, say, um, with with primary school age children, um, key stage one even, um, you'd sort of do circle time, wouldn't you? And you'd um, you'd um I don't know you'd pass something around a circle or everybody would write something down or and you'd you'd tackle these emotions and how to deal with them but once once these children are in year 10 at school you can't do that can you they would you, you couldn't you probably physically couldn't and they just wouldn't be receptive to it I don't think would they not in a group situation like that I think once they get to to be teenagers it's it, it would take a lot more resources to to help them i think won't it because per, firstly because they're older um and not so susceptible or receptible to the help but also because as you say it, it the problems are maybe more embedded by then and if we can if we can um start to teach them how to deal with these emotions before they even become a problem then hopefully we can stop them becoming a problem or so much of a problem yes yeah Ah, oh, no. It, I mean, it's um, it's slightly depressing, but at the same time, at the same time, really important to talk about this, isn't it? You know, really. Um, I th- I think the books, your books, I think really do. I think ask they, they ask a, 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 an important question, really. Of you know, you know, is it? Do we have enough of those sorts of conversations with our young children? Um, how do we feel about having those conversations with our young children and in the right context you know actually you know is it useful I, and I, certainly I think in terms of the work that you have described and the, and the way that you've had these conversations with classes of young children from reception onwards and also individual children as well and the feedback you've had from families I think I think yeah I, I, I think there's, a, there's some really important work that you do there really important um, Ali, it's it's been lovely to talk to you. Really lovely to talk to you. And um, you're the first author of children's books that we've had on the podcast. We've had other authors of, of other texts and, and and different sorts of material that's out there, but we've not had a children's author on the podcast. You are our first children's author. Oh, I'm so, honoured. Uh, Thank congratulations you. Congratulations. <laughs> you're our first. Um, if people are, I'm sure people will be listening and they uh, will be interested to know about your books. You know, I'm sure there'll be lots of reception class teachers, year one teachers um, and other people who will be interested in your books and kind of following the journey, really. Um, how can people find out more? Um, uh, well, the easiest way would be um, to visit my website, uh, which is uh, www.allymary.co.uk. Um, and on there, it's a it's a it's a Mabel website, really. So um, there's there's a Mabel, there's a blog from Mabel on there. Although I have to say, I write it really. Um, there's um, you can meet the characters. Oh, Mabel doesn't <laughs> write around blogs. I can't stop, stop the interview. <laughs> That's it for me. It's the uh, it's the short legs. She can't reach the all legs. Um, <laughs> There's uh, no, there's uh, you can see what so it's it's nice for children to visit the the website's um, designed so that children can visit it um, and they can see what Mabel's been doing and there's some pictures on there and I say Mabel's blog um, and you can find out a bit more about the characters in the books as well um, but also you can buy the books on there um, and find out which books are coming soon uh, and that sort of thing. Yeah, fantastic. Super. And and what about your visits to schools? How do people, do, presumably people find out about that as, all, as well through the website, do they? Well, at the moment, I've been, I've only been visiting local um, primary schools and I, I've been contacting the schools and saying, you know, this is me, this is what I'm doing. I, I'd love to come and um, come and share our stories. That's why I've written these books, to share 
with with children uh, and if you know if my visit can help one child in that class then you know my work's done um i consider it a success um so but because mabel is such a such a good dog we um i take her with me and we I say we go we go and visit the schools and uh, obviously they they could use our visit uh, to open up conversations if if they want to um obviously a lot i have to say a lot of the schools do buy some of the books to have at school um and then obviously they might use them um, for those sort of conversations as well but of course on, on the base level it's just a lovely thing for the children to have an author come and visit them um, and bring a really cute little dog for them to meet as well but yeah my, my email contact and my my Facebook and my um, Twitter and Instagram are all on there so if, if somebody would like me to go to their school then they reach out to me through any of those and we can get something arranged. Fantastic. Yeah, um, and we'll put the link um, in the podcast information that okay. will go with the podcast. So it'll go on the on the Early Excellence website. There'll be a link there for the, to listen to the podcast and then also information underneath it. And we'll put a link to your website on there um, with information to go with it. All right. But yeah, thank you so much for joining us. It's been really interesting to talk talk this through with you and, really, and uh, all the very best for the future. You've got the, the new book coming out fairly soon. Did you say next week? Uh, it will hopefully be landing on my doorstep next week, yes. Wow. Fingers crossed. Fantastic. That's really <laughs> exciting. What a proud moment. Well, I, it's a series of books now, isn't it? I'm, I'm told apparently when you've got three, you're a, you're a proper author then. That's, you know, you haven't just written a book. You haven't just written another book. That is then a, an actual series of books. So, yes, watch this space. Yeah. <laughs> a proper author. Well, yeah. fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> super. Well, it's been lovely to chat to you. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. No, thank you for having me. I loved it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. So there you go. Um, I really enjoyed chatting to Ali about her books. And, and it was also, I think, a really important discussion to have around children's emotional needs as well. Um, thank you very much to Ali for joining me on the podcast this week. Um, and also, of course, to you people for listening along as well. Um, have a great week, everybody. See you next time. Mm-hmm.